All right, well, Zach has covered well uh, kind of what's coming up in the next little while. Uh, I'm really excited, though, and I do want to highlight, make sure that you're here next week. We're starting Advent. Advent is uh, the season as we lead up to Christmas of waiting and expectation uh, where uh, we think about, obviously, waiting uh, for Jesus and what that means for us. And we have so many expectations at Christmas time here at Westside. Some exciting things you've already heard about the Provision Project and some of those uh, things you've heard about some of our events. Next week, we have Arlene and Cliff March with us, and they're are going to share about Ryan's Rays, like Zach just said. Uh, make sure that you're here. You're going to be really inspired. That's going to be kind of the focal point of our service next week, and we're going to tell some stories uh, and about the impact that can be made there. And I believe we have an opportunity. We're just so privileged and honored uh, to be able to partner with this great organization and what's happening in Guatemala. So uh, don't miss that. And if you absolutely have to miss next week, just make sure you follow along online on YouTube. Uh, watch the service either uh, in live time or afterwards uh, to stay up on that. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, now, Zach uh, teed up a little bit of a, an a, a, um, announcement for our movie. Um, we are running this movie, this Grinch movie. The reason we're doing it is, um, you know, it's Christmas. We want to celebrate. We want to have an opportunity to get people together, to have some fun. Uh, it's one of these easy, easy invite things as well. So at Christmas time, we just know this is a great moment for us to uh, share an invite with people who maybe are in our lives but don't normally come to church. And we just want to share with them the celebration and the joy around Christmas and around Jesus to get to know them a little bit. And as we celebrate them, to invite them into that. Um, and so when we do things like this, this movie, and then Christmas Eve, which is such a phenomenal uh, event to invite people to. That's really our heart behind it. So uh, as we've announced this movie time uh, the last couple of weeks, this week I got uh, an email from someone and they said, man, what a great event um, to be able to share and joy, especially with kids. And there's so many things that kids haven't been able to do in the last couple of years uh, with COVID and, and different things, restrictions, and we've missed out on a whole bunch of stuff. And they just had a real heart to say, man, I want as many people to come and enjoy this as possible. And so they wanted to make sure that there were no barriers. And so today we get to announce, they've made it happen, that uh, anyone under 18, our kids and youth are going to be free for that event. It has been taken care of. Admission is on them. And so uh, that is, yes, yeah, somebody say thank you. So great. And we just love, I love when somebody sees something happening at Westside and they see kind of the impact that can be made even by a fun event like that and say, I want to get on board and I want to put myself out there and, and be part of that and sacrifice something to make sure people can do it. So in response to that, my challenge to the rest of us is to say, let's fill that place up. Let's get, our, get your kids ready. Put on your calendar. You got grandkids. This is a perfect time to book some time with your grandkids and bring them out. Have your kids invite their friends from school um, and from the neighborhood uh, to come show up and say, hey, you know, we we've, we've just want to pr provide this space for joy and celebration and generosity at Christmas time. Uh, we want to be able to invite people back from, from that movie to come join us at Christmas Eve and to celebrate Christmas in that way. So it's going to be a great run-up. So would you just make sure this week you're praying about that, putting it on your calendar and then uh, making sure you're making some invitations in the next two weeks so that we can have a great time together on the 10th. Um, and then just a reminder, so Christmas Eve, Zach said that too, so I'm reiterating a little bit, um, but we've got two service times planned already. And next week when tickets uh, are available, they're free, but we, we're going to need you to sign up. Uh, same kind of thing. Be thinking about who in your life could you invite to this wonderful service. going to be uh, such a, just a, an open inviting time for us to celebrate together um, and to be able to get your tickets, and uh, we'll plan that way. So it's going to be exciting. Good times. New carpet, you guys noticed today? Did we talk about that already? 
Isn't that beautiful? Wonderful? I love it. Okay, good things are happening. That's all I'm saying. Things, yeah, things are moving, and we're so grateful for those of you who are jumping on board by making invitations. Uh, already, we started to see some people uh, step out in generosity towards our provision project, and so we're encouraging you to continue thinking about that. Um, and uh, just looking forward to the next month as we, uh, as we come to the end of 2022 and into Christmas. It's going to be great. Tell you a little story I'm not proud of, so don't tell anybody this, but um, I needed an introduction, so I'm going to use it. When I was uh, a kid, uh, my family was always at the baseball diamond. I was a huge baseball player. My brother, for a while, played baseball, and so we spent a lot of time down there. I remember there was this one day, it stands out to me, and I remember it. Um, I was playing, my brother was playing baseball, so I was down watching. And so me and a bunch of buddies, we were just playing around the field, goofing off as kids do, waiting for my brother's game to finish. And uh, we were playing across the diamond. So there's the diamond, there's the stands, all the family and the parents are sitting in the stands. And we were like way over the other side of the fence, just goofing off and playing games. And uh, at one point, one of my buddies comes to me and he says, hey, this is going to be really funny, Dave. See that kid? I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go and I'm going to kneel behind them really sneaky like. And then you just go up and give them a little tap and they're going to fall over. And it's going to be hilarious. Now, listen. We had no ill will. This was just fun. This was just like, we're all goofing around. We're playing. We didn't expect anybody to get hurt. This kid, like, we had no problems with him. He had no problems with us. We were all doing... So anyways, my buddy goes, and he kind of goes around and sneaks behind, and he kneels behind him, and I just go up and pretend and just give him a little tap, and he falls over. And we all start laughing, including the kid we pushed over, because this is the goofy stuff that little kids do. No big deal. And uh, we all thought it was kind of funny, and he thought it was funny. There was no big deal. But in the fastest fashion possible... His mother from the stands, who could see us, bolts it all the way around. And before you could know it, she's right up in our faces, me and my buddy. And she, this is what she says. She goes, you two are bullies. Could you imagine? Me, a bully. Unbelievable. And listen, again, um, as a parent now, I understand if I was the parent sitting in the stands and I could just see all the way across the field and somebody pushes my kid over. And even if it's in fun and whatever, it's like, what are you doing to my kid? You don't do that. I would be the parent running across there. So I totally understand that. And I get that. Nobody got hurt. We weren't trying to be bullies, uh, but probably really not a good look, even if we were just kind of messing around as kids. But I don't want to turn this into a therapy session, but I, I remember that. Like, I was a kid, and I can remember somebody calling me a bully. It was this name that I care, and I'm not blaming them because it's the mom that sees me pushing over the kid. I'm just saying there's these times where people say certain things to you, whether it's a name or a title, that you sort of end up carrying around for a while. Do you have any names that you've carried around? Maybe it was in your childhood, just somebody that you really loved or respected or looked up to, and they said something. Could have been positive, or it could have been negative, and probably they didn't even mean to say anything that would really stick with you in that moment, but you just, after that, you walked around, and you had that name, you had that title stuck in your heart or in your mind, and you kind of carried it forward, whether it was something you really enjoyed or whether it was something that you just, you wish you could forget, but you can't. And some of us, we've grown up with all kinds of titles that come with expectations about who we're supposed to be. 
And again, you might kind of push them off and say, I, I wish they didn't assign that to me. I wish that name, I didn't have to claim that name. I don't want any part of it. Or some of us, maybe we said, man, I don't know if I'm that, but I feel like now I have to try and live up to it. Like you've got to be the smart one or the funny one or the pretty one or the athletic one or the successful one. And there comes this pressure with it. Some of us, there'd be then these negative names. Maybe said, someone said something to us uh, when they were angry or when they were hurt. And it might not be true. It might not even be close to true, but maybe it just hit a little insecurity or a weak point or just a moment or maybe it was because that person we really looked up to and that name or that title just kind of lodged itself inside of us such that we couldn't just forget about it and then we realize how important names and titles can be to us. Names and titles in the Bible and the scripture, so oftentimes we get these stories where we realize that if we understand the names of people, their name is not just what we call them, but their name has to do with their purpose. It has to do with who they are, with their character, and how they're supposed to live it out. And if you kind of do a study on, we've been talking about God's name, but you can do a study on people's name in different story. Like you have a guy like Daniel which means uh, God is my judge. And you see the whole story of Daniel. He's this guy who gets thrown into Babylon and he's being told to live a certain way and do certain things that uh, are against his beliefs, against his kind of foundation of faith and who he is. And the way he lives it out is to say, you are not all my judge, God is my judge. And that's how I'm gonna live. Like it's the only one that matters is God who will judge not all these people. You can go with so many examples. Moses. Moses' name comes from a word that means to be drawn out of water because uh, he was literally at the birth. They, the story is that he was drawn out of water uh, because he was a, a, a Hebrew baby that was going to be killed. And so his mother protected him by putting him in this basket, putting him in the river. And, and then he's drawn out and that saves him. And then through water, he draws out the people of Israel. We've talked about those stories, the stories of Exodus and, and going through the Red Sea and then the, the Jordan River later. Um, and so you see the, the these powerful ways that names connect in the scriptures with people's story. And we have been talking about how the names for God tell us so much about who he is. Today we finish this series. I want to talk about a powerful name for God that tells us not only uh, so significantly about who he is, but who we are. And so by the end of today, I want to share with you his name and your name. Ready? All right. 1 John chapter 3, if you want to follow along. 1 John is this small letter towards the end of the New Testament. There's three Johns, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. There's actually four Johns because there's a gospel of John. And the, uh, the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, really follow along a lot of the themes of the gospel of John that we see continued out um, and what it means that Jesus is the Christ. And actually, in 1st John chapter 2, we realize one of the problems and one of the reasons this letter, letter was written to a community was because there were people that they referred to as antichrist that were coming in and they were saying, Jesus is not the Christ. And in 1 John, um, the response back is, well, we want to show you and tell you why Jesus is the Christ, why Jesus is the King, why he is God's anointed one, why you can't take Jesus out of the equation. So today, we focus on the name of Jesus specifically, what that means about who God is, and then who we are. 1 John 3, verse 16 says, by this we know love. And I want to talk about three things that we really need to know if we're going to understand ourselves in God today. There's more than that, but just three today. Three things we need to know. So we're going to highlight, feel free to circle, underline, know. We need to know love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives 
for the brothers or brothers and sisters. Today, by the way, normally we use translations uh, that are inclusive of men and women, so brothers and sisters, because that would have been the, in, uh, the intention of the writer. They would have used brothers to refer to everybody. In our culture, uh, we try to use more inclusive language, and we would say brothers and sisters, but some translations do. The reason I'm using this translation is because I'm looking for some certain phrases uh, in this translation that point out some things that are important. Uh, so just to mark that out, this is inclusive of brothers, sisters, of men, women. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So number one, we need to know love through the cross, through the idea of the cross. Um, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, remember, these letters of John's are carrying out um, a lot of the messages from John. Jesus told his disciples, he said, I give you a new commandment, and it is to love one another. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, tradition, all of it, you know that's not a new commandment. To love one another is a very old commandment, hundreds of years old. It's in the scriptures. It was in Jesus' scriptures. But then Jesus goes on to say, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And commentators agree this is the new part. The new part is not that you should love one another. That's old. That's super old. The new part is how you should love one another. To what standard should you love one another? How do we know when we're really loving one another? And Jesus, when he says, I give you this new commandment, is putting himself as the standard. And not just himself, but saying, as I lay down my life for you, as I, as I die for you, this is how you can understand what love really is. That love is not just, well, if I have excessive stuff, oh, I'll give it away. Love is sacrificial. We've talked all through this series about how the names of God are so connected with the promises of God, with his covenants, covenants, promises to Abraham, for example, that he would bless Abraham so that Abraham could be a blessing to the entire world, that, that he promised Moses, he gave him the law, uh, that he would take them out of slavery through the Exodus, that he would be their God and they would be their people, that he would lead them to the land where they would have peace. Promises to David saying, you will be a king and your, your uh offspring will be kings and, and you will reign. And part of what the New Testament writers have to do is when they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the king, and then people come and say, ah, I don't know if Jesus is the Christ or the king. They have to say, no, actually, we have to follow this whole train of thought, these promises, and I want you to know that the culmination of all of these promises, all of the signs pointing to what God was doing in the redemptive history of the entire world, we see in Jesus Christ. How do we see, ultimately, that God comes through on his promise to bless the entire world, the promise he made to Abraham? We see it in Jesus. We see Jesus saying, I am bringing real, true love to the world. Well, how do we know what love is? Is once in a while God throws us something, oh, here's a little token of my love? No, that God would step into the world and give his life for the people that he loves. This is, this is now the definition uh, that, that Jesus gives us for love. The word is agape uh, here, to know love, which is a sacrificial, covenant-keeping, faithful love. We've been talking about this all the way through, that God is going to be faithful. And what we've seen is even when we're not faithful, God will be faithful. Well, how do we know? Because even when, when we're doing our own thing, even when the world looks so evil, even when Jesus is sent into the world, God sends Jesus into the world, to teach what love looks like, to put on display what love looks like, to, 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 to live that out. And then we have uh, the corrupt systems of politics and religion that see that love as a threat to what they're doing and crucify him. 
Even then, we see God in his life-giving love, sacrificial, covenant-keeping, faithful love. Even when you don't keep your part of the covenant, I will keep my part, and I will give myself to you to make sure that our relationship can stay together. We need to know love, and that love is pictured by Jesus laying down his life for us. And then there's a great challenge to us that comes after that. So you, look at what you have. Look at what you have in worldly goods. Look at whatever blessings you have, you know, physically, material, all this stuff. And if you somebody, see somebody else in need, what does it look like for you to love them? What standard should we use of how loving I'm supposed to be? We look to Jesus who gave his entire life for us. And that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? High bar, high standard. Yes, but it is the standard of love. Not just a love that gives in excess, but a love that gives sacrificially. So number one, if we're going to really understand the depth of who God is, we need to know love through the cross. God loves us so much, we see it most clearly in his self-sacrificing love of the cross. Verse 19, we go to the second thing we should know. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. We've talked about truth again in this series a lot, and... uh, So often in the scripture, what truth is about is about faithfulness. We saw this about the character of God when we talked about uh, Yahweh and his name Yahweh and when he revealed himself uh, as the God of truth in one of the most, uh, in scripture, quoted lines, quoted passages is that that scripture from Exodus where Yahweh reveals himself to Moses and says who he is. Uh, In, in, uh, again, the book of John, the gospel of John, it says that he is uh, full of grace and of truth. And more so in Scripture, when we think of truth, we often think of um, maybe facts, what's true, what's false, and that's that's good, that's really important. Um, But but a deeper representation of what that word is, is about faith and faithfulness. That God is not just uh, says things that are true, but that he is true to his word, that he is faithful. And so in this text, what we have is, by this we shall know that we are of the truth, or in other words, that we're living alongside of the truth of who God is, that we are living in integrity might be another way to say that, and to reassure our hearts before him, before God. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, to unpack that a little bit, I want to bring up two key values that we have in our culture. And as I do this, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm not saying everybody in our culture holds these two things. I'm just saying, if you look at the, the, the landscape, you're going to find that in our culture, here and today, these are two values. And I believe, uh, I don't want to say they're good or they're bad. I think Part of them are really good, and part of them have limits, and they, be, they get locked in tension. I think we're living in a point where we're going to have to learn how to deal with this tension pretty fast because it's not tenable where we're at. Here are the two values. One of them is our autonomy, so our ability to live our lives how we want to live our lives, to do what we want to do when we say, you know, I have my freedom to pursue happiness in the way that I want to live my life. Don't judge me. Don't tell me what to do. You do you. I'll do me. This is all expressions of our idea of our freedom, of our autonomy. I can do what I want to do in my life. I can make my decisions. You make my de- your decisions. Um, and as long as I don't do something to hurt you, 
um, then just back off and I'll let you do your thing. You let me do yours. And I think we fool ourselves in a little bit on that last part. Uh, we don't recognize how interconnected we really are, but that's besides the point. First one is autonomy. We get to do what we want to do and live our lives how we think we should live our lives uh, and how the best that works. Our second value is justice. We've seen this hugely in the last couple of years, and it's come with a little bit of rage. You've seen this, right? We've seen things that, that go wrong. We've seen probably um, a distortion of the autonomy and freedom in some cases where people do things that really hurt other people. And so we have this sense of justice to say, that's not okay. We can't let people do whatever they want to do. And so now you see the tension, right? We have this value of let me do what I want to do. And then we have, oh, but you cannot do that. Again, not that either of them is wrong, but we need to realize in the tension there how far we're going with each, how does that mix together. That second value of justice, when it comes with a little bit of rage, this is what we talk about when we talk about cancel culture. So it's not just that I'm upset with what you've done, we're recognizing that this is a bad thing that's happened, that people are hurt, but now there's this ostracization, uh, you can't fit in here anymore, we won't do business with you, we can't talk about you, we can't bring you up. And so now, right, tension, I can do whatever I want to do, but you can't do that or else we completely write you off. Interesting tension. I want to come back to this sometime in the new year to talk about it because I think it's really important and it's complex and there's a lot to that and to figure it out. But in this couple of verses, just notice what's really important. By this we will know that we are of the truth, that we are people of integrity, that we are kind of living alongside of the God of love and we're reassured by it. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. That word condemn, so we've seen these words to know. The word condemn comes from the same word to know, but it's used in such a way, it's blame. So when your heart blames you, when you know your guilt, when you know your shame, when you know your failings, when you know you're wrong, when you feel like I need to be canceled for what I've done, when your heart blames you, when you know all of the ways that you have messed up and failed and not done what you're supposed to. All the more you need to know God is greater. That God is forgiving. That your story doesn't have to be over. Now, does that mean there's no consequences to actions? Absolutely not. Does it mean that, that, that you know, that just disappears? That we don't worry about justice? A hundred percent no. But it means we can't move forward without forgiveness. Think about it. We can't move forward without forgiveness. We have to figure out what that looks like, how to absorb the hurt, and how to end the cycles of retribution when people are hurting other people. This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross, to say it'll stop here with me. And we will figure out justice going forward. We're not just going to ignore that. We will figure out the consequences, uh, but, but we cannot move forward without forgiveness. Listen, we know this. You cannot stay married without forgiveness. You will have no deep friendships without forgiveness. You will probably not be able to work with anybody without forgiveness. As a culture and society, we will go nowhere productive without forgiveness. It is essential. And so when we know our heart condemns us, blames us, we need to know that there is a God who is greater that can bring us reconciliation and redemption through forgiveness. So number one, we need to know to move forward, we will need forgiveness. But I also love that that's not all that is here. Because then he says, if our heart does not condemn us, if we're not blamed, if we're not guilty then we have confidence before God. In other words, we have forgiveness, but we also have faithfulness. We don't say it doesn't matter how we live because we're just going to be forgiven anyway. God's going to forgive us. It doesn't matter. No, forgiveness motivates us to realize that we can't hurt people, that we can't perpetuate certain actions and behaviors, that there's destructive things in the world that need to be rooted out and dealt with, which means we need forgiveness to move on from those, but we also need faithfulness to live a different way. 
And so the second thing we need to know is that we belong through forgiveness and faithfulness, that we hold both of those things. We're going to need forgiveness to move forward, and we're going to need to commit to faithfulness the way that God is committed to being faithful to us, to loving us. Oh, but we're going to fall short. Yes, so we're going to need forgiveness. But do we just say, well, it doesn't matter? No, we absolutely need faithfulness to grow and to live out the way, the life that God has lived us. When our hearts condemn us, when we blame ourselves, we need to know that we belong for forgiveness. And then we need to know what a life looks like of faithfulness as God calls us to love the way that he loves us. Verse 23, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So now we come to the name of Jesus today. Um, this is how we know that we trust Jesus, that we live in Jesus, that we're followers of Jesus, just as he has commanded us, that he is the son of the living God we talked about last week, that he is the Christ, he is the king, that he reigns and shows us what life looks like. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, that means lives in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the third thing that we need to know, that we can know God's presence by his spirit. That we know that God is with us. How do we know that? Because he, we live in him and that he lives in us and he's given us his spirit. The spirit of the living God, the creator of Elohim, of Yahweh, of Yaira, it's Jesus giving us his spirit. So what do we do? We believe. Believe means to trust to be persuaded, to put our confidence in, that we put our life in his hands and to following him. The more we learn, and it will take us our entire lives, but the more we learn about who God is, the more we just attempt to join him as we trust him with everything in our lives, as we follow Jesus. So the name, Jesus, uh, name again means character, reputation, purpose, uh, the name Jesus literally mean, comes from Joshua in Hebrew, and it literally means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. What was Jesus' purpose? What did he come to do? What's his part in the story? He came to show us that Yahweh, the living God, the creator, has sent him to save us. To give his spirit to live inside of us, that we in him and he in us, through forgiveness and faithfulness, that we can continue forward and to show us what real, true, deep, sacrificial, faithful, and covenant-keeping love is. That God, even when we fail on our part, would come through on his part. That his promises, all the way back through all of Scripture, are fulfilled and given their ultimate climax in the person of Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. It's for you, it's for me, it's for our neighbors, it's for our friends, it's for those who think we're close and those who are far off from God's presence. In the next chapter of 1 John, 1 John 4, it says that God is, is love, love himself. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful name. God is love. How do we know love? We know love through Jesus. We've seen it, that he would give his life sacrificially for us, that he would call us to love that way that he would forgive us to make sure that we know that we still belong and that he would give us his spirit to empower us to live the way that he calls us to live when we know that we can't do it on our own. Which means this, and I don't know if you caught it in verse 21, but there was this title, this name that the author gives to his audience, which is given to us. To me, it comes down to this when we think about who God is and who we are. His name is love and our name is beloved. Now, my name is David, which 
translates to beloved. So this is literally true for me. (laughs) But it's true for you too. God is love. We are his beloved. And our task is to trust that love, to accept that love, and to live in that love. And you go, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How, like, how would I sign up for this if I wanted to? And we come to the crux of it here that all the promises of God sh- shown to us in Jesus. And we say, yes. We say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust that God loves me that much. I trust that he forgives me to help me belong. I trust that he wants to empower me to live that way even when I fall short. And I trust that his spirit will be inside of me to provide for me. And that's the message today. So in these next few minutes, the band's going to come back up. We're just going to have actually a couple of minutes of silence before that. I know uh, we're not always comfortable with silence. There's so much going on, and and we often have something in the background, almost always for so many of us. Uh, But I want to invite you to take a time uh, to reflect and for us to share communion together. So um, there is this little package in the rack of the chair uh, in front of you. You can grab that now if you want. Today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're taking communion. This is something we do to remember everything we've talked about today that, that God has done for us in Jesus. And if you're not there yet, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you might be exploring, you might be asking questions. Um, we're just glad that you're here, and uh, you don't need to feel pressure to participate in this. As we reflect, and as we think, there's going to be some words on the screen in the minute, and we'll sing. I would invite you just to think about what you've heard this morning, and to think about the verses that we'll present to you um, and what that could mean to you and what it would look like for you to trust in Jesus. And if you want to talk more about that, please come talk to me afterwards. Uh, Talk to one of our door holders in the lobby and uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, what I want to do, I just want to give us a a short meditation. We're going to have a couple of minutes of silence before we sing one more song. This uh, little package has two components. One is a little wafer and that is symbolic of the body of Jesus that is given for us, that Jesus gives us everything that we need to live the life he's, he's called us to, that he strengthens us, just like bread strengthens us physically, that the body of Christ is given to us to strengthen us in every way he's called us to. Underneath that, there's another tab, uh, which you have the cup and the juice, which is symbolic of the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sin that we've talked about today. To know that even when your heart condemns you, when you feel guilty and shame, when you know you've messed up, that God is greater and that God has sent Jesus, that he has died, he has spilled his blood to show us that he is greater than all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our faults. And so um, I'm going to give you meditation in a second. And then just in the quiet to give you a couple of minutes to think about it. And when you're ready, uh, you don't need to wait for a prompter for me or anything like that. Uh, We'll sing in a couple of minutes. But when you're ready, just peel the top and take the body of Christ. That is his body given for you. And then to peel the next one and drink the cup, it is his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. For you to know that as we talk about in a second, that you can live in God, that you can be part of God and his presence, and that God lives in you. And so as these things go into your body, they become part of you, they're inside of you, to know that just as real physically as that happens is the presence of God inside of you empowering you. In First John here, when he talks about you abiding in God and God abiding in you, he's picking up on language that Jesus spoke to his disciples from John chapter 15, and Jesus used this um, imagery of a vine and its branches. I want you even today to think about a vineyard if you've ever seen one with a vine that kind of maybe snakes through a fence or, you know, the posts and the branches that shoot off and from them comes fruit. And just kind of get that imagery in your head 
And then I want you to hear these words. I think we can have them on the screen behind me. And uh, I'll just ask you guys uh, to leave this up so that people, as in the next couple of minutes, as, as we're quiet, <clears throat> can reflect on these words. And I want you to think of the imagery and, and imagine it. And then imagine what Jesus says when he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So a vine, or a branch rather, lives in a vine. It can't live on its own. The way that it receives life is by living in the vine, by being part of something bigger. You and I have the opportunity to live in God, to be connected to him, to his purposes, to his presence, and to what he is doing. The vine also lives in the branch. That is, all the nutrients that a branch needs to provide fruit come from the vine. They flow through. So as we abide in him, he abides in us. He gives us everything that we need. He gives us the faithful covenant-keeping, sacrificial love that we need. He gives us belonging through forgiveness of our sin. He gives us grace in our lives. He gives us his spirit to empower us to become more like us. And our job, like the branch, is to remain, is to live, is to receive all of those nutrients because we can't create fruit. We can't, we can't make up fruit. Fruit comes from being healthy, from receiving all the nutrients that we need. So I want to pray and then just give you this opportunity for a couple of minutes. Uh, and when you're ready, feel free to take these elements, and then we're going to sing in response about the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you that we can trust in his name, which means that Yahweh saves, that you save, you are salvation. You have given us everything that we need. Thank you for the covenant-keeping, faithful, sacrificial love that you have shown to us in Jesus and in the cross. Thank you that we belong through forgiveness. And today, that even as the things come to our mind in these next couple of minutes of things that we have done or not done that have offended you, that have been destructive to one another, to people that we love, that you would help us to find your forgiveness and grace. Thank you that in the shed blood of Jesus, we know that you are greater than our sin and our shame and our guilt. Thank you for the reminder that faithfulness matters and how we live matters. That you have given us your spirit to live in us and empower us. In these next few moments, as we're quiet, pray that you would speak to each one of us in whatever ways we need, reminding us of the nutrients that you give to us spiritually as well as physically, and that we might know your abiding presence in our lives. In Jesus' name.